Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Master of None podcast. I am your host, as always, Stephen Murphy, and I'm joined by the regular rugby crew that is Sam and Westy. And we have an action-packed show for you this evening. We have Six Nations, we have plenty of Connacht talk, Pete Wilkins, head coach. Uh, we've got some new contract renewals, and we also have an injury, which we don't like to talk about too much, but we have to address. And then we have the return of the URC uh, but before we get stuck all into into all that, of course, we'll check with our, our, our best friends in the whole world, Sam and Westy. Sam, how the hell are you? Uh, sore, salty, uh, tired. All, all the things that come after losing a league final. Uh, J2, you know, Connacht, Connacht featured heavily uh, another league final on their Instagram page. I was very disappointed that they didn't feature the, the classic that was in Loch Ray Rugby Club on Sunday afternoon. Uh, but we fell to a superior foe. Uh, I'll say superior. I'll be gracious indeed. It was not was not a pleasant experience from being on the losing side. That was my first final of anything really, except for rounders and softball since I was about seventeen in the last. So maybe it is me, Smurf. Maybe it is me. I think the the more evidence we gather, the more it seems to point to one thing, Sam. Liverpool lost. Well, Drew at the weekend. Oh, just, Liverpool are done. Like I've just acid the tattoo off my leg. I'm done. With, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not a believer. I'm a believer. I've been saying. I've been begging Sam not to watch Rory at the Masters because if I swear to God, if you cause him to lose that, I will kill you. Yeah, I think it's. it's I think I might have to watch that one on on the day after sort of vibe. I can go media. Yeah, blackout. I'll just give you updates. Can I go media blackout and watch it the next day, or does that still does the curse carry over? Will yeah, I think once you watch it live, I think you're fine. Yeah, but is it, if, if I'm watching it as live, does the curse kind of retrospectively, if time is linear, that sort of thing, does it happen anyway? Time is time is a construct, Sam. I don't know. Is, is, it, is it linear? Is it cyclical? I don't know. Who knows? We did a poem. I did a poem with the kids in school the other day, and it was, I built a time machine tomorrow. Uh, it was unbelievable. Yeah, it makes, someone said it makes Annie a bit, a bit more depressing. Tomorrow never comes. When tomorrow comes, it's today. Do you know what I mean? So, one man that does know about time is Westy. Westy, how are Westy you? Westy does not know about time. Westy's always late. <laughs> he is by far the least punctual. No, I wouldn't say you're not. You're, you're quite punctual. You just... Um, laid back. I'll give him laid back. Lay, laid back. Yeah. That's nice I'll give you punctual. laid yeah. back. Um, hashtag hot chip. Um, yeah, no, speaking of being punctual, I, had, I was out for dinner with uh, work colleagues on Friday night, and I was actually about 50 minutes early, so I w- did a lap of town and came back to the restaurant. I went in, and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm here. And they're like, oh, you're the first one here. I was like, Joe, actually, don't show me the table. I'm going to go for a walk and come back. Well, I, I am incredibly punctual. I would say if you're not five minutes early, you're late. That would I would agree. Early. That would be my mantra. Yeah. No, I, st- I subscribe to the Irish traditional concept of time, which is when someone gives you a time, it's 10 minutes either side of the time that they gave you. That is that is disrespectful with people's time. I do not appreciate it, Westy. No, I would say I've never. I would say when you meet Westy at a certain time, he'll be there. You, he, yeah, he'll be. He's but he's good for Westy time. Answers, but the texting build up to it is a yeah. Westy answers if you say, "Are you available on Saturday?" or "Do you want to meet at two? Westy says, "Yeah, it should be okay." And he just leaves that element of doubt in the air. And it's a it's a killer for someone who's as a kind of compulsive or obsessive as I am with time and being like on time and being ready and everything. Uh, it's absolute killer. Well, what if the what if the world had ended between yesterday and today, and then you guys were sitting here waiting for me, and I wasn't around because the world was over? Well, then we wouldn't be doing the podcast. Well, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. Imagine a post po- our post apocalyptic master none. We're a bit disappointed with the uh, the brimstone and the fire. It was, you know, I, I was really expecting a bit more from them, uh, and it was it was a clear day, and they didn't take advantage of it. 
All these zombies coming through the Leinster Academy make me sick. Yeah, they're you so know? fast. They're say. like 28 days. So zombies. fast. Zombies in our day, but west of Ireland, zombies are slow and steady and they enjoy the wind and the rain. But those those Leinster zombies are too quick. That's the, they've been training for long before they were undead. These foreign born zombies make me sick as well. You know what I mean? Can't even get Irish born ones. But uh, speaking, I've been watching The Last of Us and fully oh, enjoying it. So I have good. To say. So good. Enjoying it. Um, but before I always leave it too late so before we get stuck into the rugby I want to obviously highlight uh, Fanzo the master of non-league on Fanzo and I have to bring it up because one of us has made a move and I'm looking at your boy here and I'm looking at myself uh, I had a good weekend for once uh, it's my league and I somehow have only somehow uh, had a good round now uh, I had 62 points this round which is good for me I'm up to 8th um, I had Ireland by twenty one. They won by fourteen. James Lowe could have could have scored at the end. England by ten, bang on. At France by twelve, they won by eleven. Uh, I only get nineteen points for that. I feel like you should get like twenty at least for that. But look, at I digress. Uh, as I said I've moved up to eighth. Uh, I'm ahead of you two absolute jokers uh, for once, which is nice. Um, but it's it's getting tied at the top, and I mean really tight at the top. We have a tie for first place. Currently, Jack Fogarty and Matthew Collins both sit on 138 points. And in third place, we have Mark Fitzgerald on 136. Uh, four places back on 124. So there is a gap there between that top three. They, they look like they're getting some, some Della vouchers. Uh, but obviously, with two rounds to go, it is all to play for. And I am hunting their ass down on 119 points. Uh, I can smell Jack Fogarty from here. Um, uh, you know, I'm like I'm like the the dogs and Simpsons when Homer shows them the meat. Uh, you know, it's only grown their hunger, boy. Run faster, you know. Uh, that's what I'm up to. So I don't even know where you two jokers are, Sam. Where are you even? Oh, I'm so bad. I'm down like 38, uh, 90, 95 points. I haven't even broken the hundred. It's like the opposite of my golf game. Uh, and I, Westy's nineteenth. Yeah, yeah Westy's nine points. Westy, nine, West... nine points behind you. I was winning. In this, nine actually. points behind me, but you're ten spot. Yeah, that's crazy. It's a tight, it's a tight table. If England hadn't scored that try at the very end, I was bang on for the bang on the money with the five point win, and then they went and scored a poxy try in the last couple of minutes. Ruined my day. Ruined my day. That's the Fanzo game right there, baby. Uh, but yeah, so that's it's looking it's looking tight with two two rounds to go. It's fantastic. I want to remind you who was leading the fans over during the autumn internationals the entire time and then lost on the last day. It can happen to you, Smurf. It can happen to you. You were leading among us three. You weren't leading the. Yeah, league. you were leading among us three. You're still eighth. If you're not first, you're last. Ricky Bobby. I never said I was winning. I just said I was ahead of you two jokers. Yeah, and that's what that's I was something. saying the whole time. Autumn internationals. Then yeah, I lost. You said you said guess who was leading the league? Yeah, we're no, just remember. Just remember who won in autumn, okay? You guys can be in top all you like on the last day, as usual. I will be on top. Yeah, I do. I do fear that. I do fear that Westy will. He'll just. He'll just win. I'm coming for you. I'm getting a bang on. I'm doing it. I'm getting three hours next I'll week to just take the lead. Okay. Let's let's see it. Let's see it. Uh, but again, thanks to fans over teaming up with us for for this Six Nations. Uh, still, you can still win some free Guinnesses at this stage if you want to join. Download the app and then use the code None to join our Master of None League. Uh, you can win free pints of Guinness. I won a free one at the weekend there with spot on. Um, you can win bragging rights over your mates, as you can see, which is very valuable here. For once, I actually have them over Sam Westy. Uh, so it's it's nice to be on that side of it for once. But uh, thanks again as also to Della for uh, providing those vouchers for the top three. Um, it looks like we have three three favourites to to claim them. But who knows? Who knows? Someone could sneak up and steal them right at the end. So thanks again to Della. 
Uh, must get back to the Dallas soon, Westy. I'm, 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 I'm a hankering for that pork burger. I'll tell you that. Oh man, that pork breakfast burger. It's pretty good. Do you mean to the pancakes down in Dallas as well? I think do they? Well, pancakes are trash. So yeah, I mean this this was the controversy during the week. Really, uh, somebody hijacked the Twitter account and claimed that we don't like pancakes. Someone yeah. someone broke the internet. Having had had pancakes four days before Pancake Tuesday, I found that extremely offensive. I have pancakes weekly, at least. Uh, every time we meet for coffee, I'm on the pancakes. Love, Sam loves pancakes, yeah. Love pancakes. Make my home. I like crepes. The whole time during lockdown, we had pancake batter in the fridge on the go at all times, for just in case. Yeah, that's fine. I just stated that I didn't like them. That's all. You stated for controversial pancakes. reasons. You're as bad as one of those fan blogs after a Liverpool loss. That's what you <laughs> yeah. are. You're looking for Pancakes the- don't deserve to wear the jersey, Sam. They're a disgrace. Tell you that. You're as bad as those lads. That's all you're doing. You're just putting it out there. Just just trying to wind them up. And all- I'm, like, I'm off the ball for pancakes is what I am. That's, a, that's what I'm going for. Uh, but look, I digress. Pancakes, they're not for me. They're, they're just not good. Um, that's all. That's all. That's all I share. I shared the. I thought it was a safe space. I thought Twitter was for nice people for genuine debates. Maybe call me naive, but I thought that was what it was. So I apologize. Uh, we should really talk about some rugby, guys. Uh, <laughs> Six Nations, uh, round three in the books, and Ireland remained the only undefeated team left. Scotland fell off, but we'll get to that later. Ireland defeating Italy, thirty-four points to twenty, uh, on Saturday in, in a sunny Rome. And it was uh, it was far from comfortable and far from easy, uh, but I think we'll get into the, the nuts and bolts of it. But like Westy, I think this was another example of I, I think Andy Farrell would be delighted because it was another build up that wasn't perfect. Another player went injured. Gary Ringrose, you know, a couple of days before the game, it was next man up. Ross Byrne start and Craig Casey started. Again, far from ideal, far from first team, and yet they grind out yet another bonus point win. That that you know that has to stand for something. Yeah, again, kind of results wise, um, you definitely can't be too upset by it. I I really do hope, and I hope this isn't me jinxing it, but uh, the the days of Italy getting 40, 50 points put on them are over. Um, now it may happen again uh, in the odd game. Of course, teams have bad days, but um, I think what we saw from Italy was a much uh, a much better prepared team uh, for these games than we've seen uh, in other years where they would mainly just be trying to focus on themselves and um, taking their opportunities. Whereas now we see them exporting areas. They think Ireland will be weak. They know that our, our uh, back play isn't going to be as fluid. So they're up in our faces causing trouble there. They know which channels to attack. They know the 13 was changed two days beforehand that our 13 has trained at 12 all week. Um, so they target that. And, and it's, it's great to see. Um, it, it, it's interesting to see again, you know, we had a bit of a, maybe after the Fiji game, people were quite uh, disappointed by the Ireland performance. I think this was still a really strong performance. I don't actually think the game was ever in doubt. At no point during the game did I ever really think we were going to lose. I, I thought we had it in the chamber. And that's not to say I wasn't fearful and wary of Italy. They put some beautiful passages together, scored some beautiful tries. But I do think, <clears throat> I did think on the day that we would pull away. Um, I thought players like Mac were in a great performance. You could see he was told to, hunt down Capuoso anytime he got near the ball to um to cancel out that threat. Uh, I thought Calanone was brilliant. Um I've had him on fantasy team all uh, all six nations because he's a back row there's brothers and one of them is a back row, one is a second row. Uh, but they're both listed in back as uh, second rows in the Six Nations Father. So I've had one of them sitting there knowing he was going to have a massive game. Um 
So, yeah, I thought, and, and great to see Garabisi back. I think that really brought fl- uh, fluidity to Italy's attack, which was so good to see. Um, so I think, look, uh, an intercept try, a run on the pitch, kind of um, maybe puts a shine on their performance overall and, and gives us that bit of tension in the second half. Um, but I, I do think it was a pretty a pretty solid performance from Ireland, not as solid as other weeks. Obviously, there were some gaps that appeared, there were some problems that, that occurred. Um, but I'm still really confident and really happy with the way the team uh, ground out the win. You know, again, if this is our version of winning ugly, I'm pretty happy with it. Yeah, 100%. Uh, West kind of touching on Sam. There was obviously, especially in the back line with, with McCluskey and Bundy both playing in 12 13, um, and the lack of ring roses is kind of defensive ability. It would be easy to say, like, oh, Ireland were really bad defensively, but it was just, it's a system they weren't used to playing in terms of, you know, the. the 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 clientele on show it wasn't used to that kind of area of playing so it's you know I wouldn't I wouldn't be too worried about that no I wouldn't be as quick to jump on anyone's back after that performance you know we still got the win it wasn't as nice as you've seen in weeks gone by but there's a lot of changes the two halfbacks are changed you have Bundy moving from twelve haven't played there all or trained there all week to thirteen uh, McCluskey coming in you know his his idea of what he was going what's going to be asked of him changes the day of the game. You're losing Sexton and Ringrose, who are both leaders. Like Ringrose is the captain of Leinster now. Uh, they're both very vocal. Ringrose's defensive abilities definitely missed in it. I don't think, you know, there's no issue. I've, people, I've seen people putting it out saying that Bundy uh, was poor defensively. I, I, I think he was just out of sorts at the position. I don't think he was hugely poor. What Ringrose is able to do is to shut it down because he's that explosive off the line sort of defender. Farrell defends that way. And the fact that Bundy wasn't able to do exactly the way Ringrose was, but was trying to do it, because of the system, it kind of isolated low as well. And he looked like he had a defensive kind of a poor defensive performance. And I actually just think it was just the, the change and losing ring rows there. I don't think it was too bad. And I think if you gave him another week or two, one, he would be perfectly able to play that position. I wouldn't write him off from a 13 position uh, as quickly as some people have been online. It's quite unfair. You've got a 9, 10, 12, 13 there from the four provinces, which is brilliant to see. You know, you don't you don't see that every day. I couldn't tell you the last time that happened. So. All in all, with the changes that happened last minute and the changes to the squad, you know, Farrell's never going to mass wholesale, wholesale change the team before an Italy game or before any game. But there was enough changes there. There was some non, you know, some people like Finley who wouldn't be considered first choice when all fit and available were in there. I know we got injured and then Tom O'Toole came on. He was quite good. So I'm actually quite happy with it. The intercept try puts a little bit of a blotch on the overall performance. If that goes to hand or doesn't get thrown or like Ross Byrne runs a more solid line or Bundy's pass is just that little bit later or earlier. The the read isn't as good as it is. Any any number of circumstances don't happen and you don't get that intercept try. It's a bit of a mauling and it's not even a good performance, much like Connacht away to Zebra two weeks ago. You kind of say, you know, they still rocked up the points. They got the bonus point, the bonus point try or the, bon- the try bonus point. So there's not much to be too worried about. I wouldn't think that that's any sort of indication as to how we're going to go into a World Cup. I think that that's a performance that we will probably need during the World Cup. We'll probably need a, you know, a Tonga uh, performance where there is a couple of changes. There is some people playing slightly out of position. It's not all going swimmingly and it's not the first choice lads who are the first choice lads for a reason. So I'm I'm quite happy with it at the end of the day. Yes, there's work-ons, but those players as well will want to work on those things. No, hundred percent. As you said, like 
Bundy could be half a step out, and that that translates to low being half a step out, and then you you know you've given up fifteen twenty yards at that level. That's just kind of the way it works. But it, as I said in our WhatsApp during the week, if Bundy played thirteen again this week or next week, I'd be fully fully uh, confident in his abilities to adjust. But um, we'll keep on Bundy Westy. It was a weird game for Bundy, not even performance wise. He seemed quite subdued. He like he scored the try. There wasn't a whole pile of celebrations. He just seemed almost um, low energy or something. Did you pick up on that, or was that just me? No, my main mon- memory of Bundy from the game is when he was on the ground slamming the floor, yelling "stupid Bundy." Uh, <laughs> that was quality. That was pretty entertaining. Um, um, I think he was quite energetic. I think. Um, no more than as Sam said earlier, with with the late change in position and having to readjust his game, I think he probably wasn't as comfortable in the thirteen jersey. It's been a while since he's worn a thirteen jersey anywhere, so that obviously affects how he's going to go about his business on the day. Um, again, it probably wasn't um, it probably wasn't as uh, comprehensive an Ireland performance as players were expecting. So I think that subdued a lot of people. Really, you know, you could say as well with the likes of. Uh, maybe Caelan Doris, who again was playing out of position, but we saw less of because he's not really in, in that comfort position to make the impact that we normally see. Um, so yeah, probably a little bit subdued from Bundy, probably suffering a little bit from a lack of game time across the board. You know, he's come off the bench the last two games, um, but he hasn't played a full, hasn't played an hour's worth of rugby in a long time. So um, probably a little bit of rust, a little bit of maybe lack of confidence in the 13 jersey, which kind of maybe showed in the performance. But the one thing I would say, you know, you say lack of energy, um, I can't remember the exact number, but he had maybe eight carries for 72 meters. So like he, he is still t- getting Ireland in front foot and, um, uh, and getting us that go forward ball. And, and, you know, uh, maybe line breaks is a, is a strong word, but, you know, finding holes in defenses and, and keeping that really high work rate that we're used to from Bundy. So, um, yeah, probably suffering a little bit from lack of game time. Um, and maybe just an overall conservative kind of attitude, maybe with all the changes that have happened in the squad. It's, um, you know, it was like we kind of hoped it would be. It was five or six changes from the last starting team. Um, you know, with a couple of changes that are already there because of the likes of um, you know, um, as we said, Beelham starting instead of Furlong, um, and Ty Byrne being away. Um, but it, it it's that half halfback partnership that really changes how things are going to move. And um, happy it, it didn't impact the speed at which Ireland played too much, but definitely the. Uh, the crispness and the cleanness of the of the balls that we were seeing at the backs was definitely affected. So I think that has a trickle down effect. Um, it's probably a few factors there. I think. Yeah, uh, let's talk about the nine and ten uh, jerseys because um, obviously a switch from the norm. Uh, Craig Casey in general, I thought just wasn't wasn't at his best. I thought a couple of passes were maybe just half a second behind a player, and like you know that makes all the difference. The likes of Adaris coming on at full steam if he has to check his run. Um, I think he makes sometimes just bad calls. Like Gibson Park also does that sometimes can do these tap and goes, but I feel like Gibson Park has a better feel for when the time to do it is. Uh, that that might not be true, but I just didn't think it was. It wasn't a great a great game for Craig Casey. Now again, he's still very young, uh, and and Farrell sees something in him. So I'm not saying that's not the right call to to play him at all. I thought it was great to see him out there uh, alongside Ross Byrne as well in a potential partnership, but. Um, I thought it wasn't his best day at the office. Sam, would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I wasn't hugely impressed with him. I, don't, I wasn't massively down on him either. It's not easy for him coming in when it's Ross Byrne. You know, with your sub-scrum half coming on or your third-choice scrum half probably coming on, 
you kind of want him to be there with Sexton so that he gets the feel for the Christmas, like Westy was saying, but he's not. He's got another player who's also needing to be slightly managed through the game. So between the two of them, there's a little bit of disconnect. Then, like you said, there's a couple of balls that just weren't as quick or maybe as crisp or what people were used to. I defend. I don't like what he does in terms of his, his going and his sniping. I think he gets isolated quite often. I've seen that, but I will defend it that Gibson Park does it as well. But maybe the team know Gibson Park's triggers a little bit more than they know his because he is. He's not featured as heavily. He's not the first choice. He's not the go-to, and he's also not the Leinster scrum half. That the Leinster players are well aware of what he's going to do. So there's there's a lot of factors into why he might have played like that. I think that yeah, he's the third choice, but I would be calling for him to kind of be the second choice even though he is the third choice because I like the way Conor Murray has made a position his own now being that come off the bench cool head 100 cap Ireland player that is able to see out the game and play quite well and he's had a bit of a renaissance with his his form at the moment but I actually think that he's a renaissance with his form in the position that he is which is being the sub scrum half so I think that actually you're looking at maybe a Gibson Park or a Casey starting with Murray playing the role that he played there as opposed to it being a standard one, two, three, where Murray moves up one and Casey moves up one, one Gibson Park isn't available. So I think that, yeah, even though I'm calling him the third choice, he's actually probably the second choice. Uh, and Murray, if he continues to play the way he has been in that position, is nailing down that experienced head to come off and to be a leader. Because at the weekend, you know, in the back line alone, you're missing Sexton and you're missing uh, Ringrose and then Henshaw as well as a big miss. So you're missing a lot of experience and you, then to be able to bring someone of that experience on to see out a game who will likely at the time when he's being brought on, be brought on with a Ross Byrne or a Car- uh, or a Crowley or a Carberry, because that's, you know, it'll be a, the sub scrum half, the scrum, sub out half if needs be. You have that experience on the bench. So, yeah, I didn't think it was his best game, but I think that there's just caveats that because there is a lot of changes, there's a lot of disruption and, you know, people need to get used to each other. It's the same thing I said for Bundy at 13. Give him another two weeks playing and training there. I don't think he'd he'd miss a beat. And I think the Casey, I'm not high on him personally as the scrum half, but if he's going to be in the Ireland fold in the Ireland setup and Farrell rates him that highly, just give him another couple of weeks. You know, getting to run the back line or playing at in the scrum half role throughout training for a couple of weeks, and I think he'd be absolutely fine. Yeah, it's interesting to see. I wonder after the World Cup when um, you know you have a lot of kind of players who are 30 plus, like Gibson Parks, 31. Uh, Murray obviously is what 30, 33, 34. Um, will I want to see just how uh, Crazy, Craig Casey develops because Nathan Doak uh, is a phenomenal scrum half too, uh, up in Ulster. And I just, I you know, when you see that performance at the weekend, you do wonder would Doak be uh, any better, any worse? It's just an interesting topic we can maybe, um, we can maybe address after the World Cup. But uh, Westy, uh, the ten jersey Ross Byrne, um, who's been having um, a good couple of weeks, um. Rory O'Connor, of course, said the conversation's over for that number two jersey. So even talking about this seems futile. But uh, how did you rate his performance at the weekend? Um, I thought he played well. Um, yeah, I thought he was good. I thought he was um, relatively solid. Um, I I don't think the now again look there there is changes there on the inside as well. Well, I mean, I guess McCluskey's played the last few games. Um, it is difficult with you know Casey's first start as well. You also have to remember that. Um, it's Conan at eight and not Doris. That's a new number eight. So again, off the back of scrums and stuff, we're not really uh, in the same attacking setup that we're, we're normally used to. So it's difficult for Ross Byrne with another scrum half inside him. Um, and then with a new setting partnership outside, I think that's a really long channel there where we're missing a kind of um, a leader, a kind of a more established name. But I thought Ross played well. I thought he was um, maybe a step behind where Sexton would be. And again, those 
those passes are a little bit slower going out. Um, I don't think the game was marshaled quite as well as it under Sexton. Now that is understandable. It's his, I think it's his first start in the Six Nations, or at least in uh, in a good few couple of years. So, um, and a difficult place to go, right? An, an Italian team that really came out of the blocks firing and kind of seemed to, you know, at least give Ireland a bit of a shock at, at times. So, I, I thought it was a good performance. I think he's shown how solid he is and and why he's in that squad. Okay, unfortunately, the kicking lets him down a little bit here, but a few of them were very difficult kicks. So, like, I'm willing to kind of not, well, not like drag him off the coals to that anyway. But um, I, I, I think it was a good performance. I, I really, do, I still don't agree with Roy O'Connor that the conversation is not over. I am happy now that we have a good. Um, it kind of as Sam said, right? Like, I'm really happy now that we have a good secondary to come on and close out a game. But I don't know who our. I still don't know. I still don't think he's our second choice out half. Uh, I'd be happy, you know, if if for the. I actually thought there was a, a bit of a spring in the Ireland step when Crowley came on. So I, I would be interested in, in exploring a, a possibility of you know you maybe still start it in either Sexton or Carberry or Crowley starts and Rossburn comes on to finish out because we know we know in a clutch position an early injury he can come on and see out that game. Um, but I'm again none of this is necessarily a slight at Ross Byrne, but if if Sexton was out for the World Cup, you can't tell me based off that performance that you'd be delighted for Ross Byrne to start against South Africa or, or Scotland or in a quarterfinal. That's nothing against him necessarily. It's just you can't say, nobody can honestly tell me they've seen enough from his performance. Rory O'Connor would argue he, he has seen enough yeah. to emphatically like, close the door on the conversation. I feel bad because again, I'm not saying, like that was a, that was a good performance from Ross Byrne. It wasn't bad at all, but it, it was noticeable that our backline did not function quite as sharply as we've seen before. That's also probably a vicious byproduct of spending the last 15 years developing a system that is entirely circulated around a single individual and then trying to get people to replace him. So it's, it's a hard one on Rosburn. I wasn't, I didn't think he was great. I thought he was grand. I thought he got us through a game against Italy, but I wouldn't have been in any way enthusiastic about him continuing on a start and maybe or playing against France last week or whatever uh, because I just I don't think he was that good but he was he was grand he just doesn't quite offer us what Sexton offers us but that's understandable because the entire team is based around Sexton it's the same case I think for both halfbacks in a way because you're 100% right we've said that before right our team is built around Sexton so no one's going to step into those shoes and be Sexton but what we probably need to see is Ross Byrne starting with either Murray or Gibson Park when Gibson Park when he's available and then, you know, Ringrose and whoever outside him. And the same with Casey. We see Casey starting with maybe Doris at eight and Sexton outside him because it's, you know, I, I think when you, you're using both, to, to use a broad term, second string halfbacks, then neither one of them can rely on the stability of the other. Whereas if you bring in Ross Byrne with Gibson Parker Murray uh, and someone else outside him, he's obviously given a lot more room to kind of, um, some of the responsibilities taken off his shoulder, he's given a little bit more room to kind of express himself. Yeah, it's it's. I I agree completely with you guys. I thought Ross was he was. I thought he was good. He was grand. Uh, like he, he kicked well. He did all the things that I knew he was good at well. And then yeah, like if he's trying to do a sex and impression, it's not going to be good because you're asking him to be a player that he's not. Um, I don't know why he's so slow. Uh, are we alarmed at that at all? That he's slower than a thirty-seven-year-old Sexton. Um, I feel like you know a running joke is the the me versus John Porch race debate. Um, I feel like I could take Ross Byrne uh, over that fifty meter line, right? You guys would surely give me that one uh, from what we see outside the weekend, right? I think you could straight take him to where you starting. <laughs> <laughs> starting no, no advantage, like no, I think no Spurs meant if Ross Byrne was starting in Italy and Spurs was starting. From the <laughs> Come on, Wesley, give me Ross Byrne. Come on. <laughs> 
I'm giving you Ross Byrne. I think. Thank you, Sam. I appreciate that. Um, I did. I agree with you, Esther. When Crowley came on, it looked. It did look different. Now, my my question about. I, I totally agree with Sam and Conor Murray as well. Conor Murray has been fantastic the last while, and he's definitely uh, showed me what he can still do. The question is, if that game at the weekend was were ten points down against the South Africa. Is Conor Murray the man to bring on? Is is Ross Byrne the man to bring on? Would you rather a Jack Crowley at that stage? Would you rather a, a Craig Casey or a Gibson Park, as you say, Sam? That's kind of the question. Murray and Ross Byrne are great when you are nursing a game home, which is fantastic to have, but we're not always going to have that, especially as hopefully we get into the latter stages of a World Cup going up against the France or the New Zealand or South Africa or whoever it may be. You know, we're not maybe won't have that 10-point cushion with, with 10 minutes to go. That's kind of, you know, and the problem is now, will we see Crowley play much until the World Cup? Probably not. Um, and we, I don't know, it depends on how training goes. But it's an interesting look. It's a good problem to have because I said Ross Byrne has, he showed probably a bit more than Joey has in a long time in terms of steadiness and at least at least reliability. Um, Joey Carby could still go to the World Cup. We're like, we really still don't know who is in that number two jersey, but... Uh, or even in the the nine jersey, I still think Gibson Park is clear uh, ahead of the rest of them. But th- that's it. Do you want that? Do you want the same player coming off the bench? Like we had this discussion before. Do you want Sexton and then Ross Byrne, who's Sexton light, coming off the bench, or do you want Crowley, who's a totally different player and a totally different dynamic? Um, that's up to Andy Farrell, I suppose, to find out. And I think he's he's built up enough equity with us that he will we will trust his decision uh, going into that. Um, We'll move on to some uh, sadder news coming out of the Irish game. Obviously, Finley Bealham uh, picked up a, a pretty bad knee injury um, and he's been ruled out for the rest of the Six Nations. Uh, there's no time frame put on it yet, uh, but um, he did respond to my story on Instagram and said that he will. Uh, he's not going to Valhalla yet, uh, which was his direct quote. So, um, obviously, the worst-case scenario would be missing a World Cup. That doesn't seem to be the issue, but obviously, as Connacht have a pretty uh, important run-in coming in the URC, uh, we'd like to have him back for that. So hopefully, he, look, he walked off the pitch. That's always a good sign. Was wearing a pretty big knee brace uh, towards the end. But again, hoping that was precautionary more than anything else. Uh, we probably won't know for uh, probably another week or so his actual um, time frame. But we wish him, obviously, speedy recovery. And it's sad to see because he's been phenomenal, uh, This the Six Nations. Um, but yeah, that uh, Irish game. I think we'll, we'll wrap up that Irish game, boys. Move on to the next game. Uh, Wales versus England uh, England coming out on top here 20 points to 10 um, this was I watched this game and I don't know how England didn't win by more uh, Wales looked like they could do nothing with ball in hand they were just kicking the ball away they were sloppy didn't look sharp at all and England I don't know England have all these talented players I was super impressed by Ollie Lawrence thought he was fantastic at the weekend uh, Freddie Stewart's a fantastic full back you have all these Great talents, but yeah, you're beating Wales by 10 points and Wales are at an all-time low. Sam, is again, are we just waiting for England to really click and come together or should we be more worried about this? I don't think England are going to click in the manner in which Ireland did under Farrell after a year or two because of the way Borthwick coaches his teams and the, the management structures he's had. I think that what England will do is they'll get a lot better at doing essentially what they did at the weekend, which is just grind a little team out and and not be particularly impressive they've got players like Lawrence and Stewart that can do the things that you'd like to see a team do for entertainment's sake but that's just not I don't think going to be the way that Borthwick ever coaches his teams and I think going especially with the World Cup so close he's not going to try and in, in install any major changes 
from a philosophy point of view or from a structural point of view. So you're going to see more of the same with England, but I think they're going to become harder and harder to beat as the months under board would go on. And by the time Six Nations rock or the World Cup rocks around and they've got the easier half of the draw, they're going to be very hard to beat. And you wouldn't put, you would, you know, you wouldn't, uh, you'd be quite worried about them getting semi-final, like, you know, scraping finals because that's what England do as well. They can get to the finals even if they're not the, the best team in the tournament at all. So, yeah, it was a shite game. I think from a director's point of view for the Six Nations, they'll be quite annoyed that they keep putting Ireland first and then having lesser quality games afterwards because uh, the England-Wales game was not half as enjoyable to watch as the Ireland game when we were watching that. So, yeah, Wales, Wales were pretty abject, pretty poor across the board, but you can't really expect too much from Wales just with all the shit going on around the entire rugby scene in in Wales club uh amateur club and now international they just so up in the air that that's got to be eaten away at the the minds of all those players you've heard anonymous accounts of players you know taking anxiety or depression pills because of how much it's getting them down you can't just turn that off on the back of a verbal agreement two days before a match you know that that's there that's resting in them so it's going to be affecting the entire camp so I thought Wales were noticeably poor and didn't really put it to England. England probably should have, you know, won by more. All in all, not as enjoyable a game as the Ireland game. So it's it's, it's a shame for the fact that the Six Nations has to so far been Ireland first and then everyone else after. Yeah, I know. It's definitely been a drop off. Um Westy though, I'm looking here at the World Cup pools and I can already see what's gonna happen. Uh England uh, only have to beat Japan and Argentina in their group in their pool D, no disrespect to Japan and Argentina, but by that stage England should have a, a bit more of a, a cohesiveness. And then in pool C, you've Wales who are in a slump, Australia who with A Jones, who knows, Fiji, Georgia, Portugal. England's going to get to a World Cup final here, aren't they? It's like it's almost written in the stars. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know. I I I would love to see an England Australia um, semi final with A Jones in charge. Was right. I think that would be that's what we're, we're all paying to see now. Um, and you know, I wouldn't write off Argentina either because Argentina beat England in August, didn't or in the Autumn Internationals, didn't they? So um they won't care that it's a new head coach. They'll know that man for man they can they can win that fixture. Um Japan is a bit different, you know. I, I think you know, teams like Japan and, and Italy have a capability to overturn teams to catch teams on a bounce, but that rarely seems to happen with England. England t- tend to kind of flex their muscle against smaller teams. You don't really see a minnow take down England the same way. Well, not a minnow, but like a a, a lower end of the top tier team take down England the same way you'd see them take down us or uh, or, um, or or Wales or, or France. Or, you know, th- those victories that tend to come a little bit uh, more frequent, but England just don't seem to, to, to have that. So, um I think they're still working on. I, th- I think they haven't really started working on an attacking game plan yet. To be honest, I think they're focusing on building a squad and building a team, uh, and getting players used to playing with each other. They're they're falling back on the old strengths of of the power game, uh, and relying on that a lot. Um, then you have players like Ayala Lawrence who are creating chances out of nothing, and you know Freddie Stewart who I think runs more than the rest of the team combined. So. Um, it's a very interesting setup. I think it's a for them really. It's about building confidence back into players and building confidence in the players that are new to the squad. And then post Six Nations, we will. I think we'll start to see more of a um, more of a distinguishable attacking game plan established within the squad. You do have to remember, Borthwick's only been with that squad for six weeks. 
Um, it's not a case of, it's not like Gatlin with Wales where we found out about this before Christmas uh, and he had time to plan. Borthwick was it's very, very much still a recent uh, appointment in that England head coach job. So um, I think as they get confidence, I think uh, Sam actually had it really well. They'll get harder and harder to beat. You know, it won't be easier for them to win because they still have to develop a, a more fluid attacking game plan. But when they're down in their haunches, they'll be better at holding out the fences and, and, and uh, killing games. Um, Wales and your hand have been apart from a, a lovely bit of magic from Louis Rees Samet. Didn't fire too many shots. Again, I think the likes of Joe Hawkins, uh, uh, Chris, um, is it Suna? I'm not sure. I'm really sorry. I'm butchering his second name. He was playing six. Um, was it well, see, if, any, if any of us wasn't going to butcher it, it would be you. Uh, yeah, I'm, him, I'm so. very sorry. I trust you on this one. Um, but you have the likes of these young players who are bringing so much to the squad. Even Reece Samet, who's still, you know, he's had a few years at Wales, but he's still an extremely young player. Um, so I think they're they're doing well at bringing players in, but there just isn't really a structure. There isn't really a base. I, I thought you had better games from the likes of Wynne Jones and Falata than we've been seeing. Uh, maybe not as much from Tipperick as, as you would hope. So you're getting a mixed bag from your established players. It, it could be a case, you know, Gatlin's making a lot of changes. He might be running through his squad and trying to figure out what his best combinations are to build on going forward. So I thought it was an inter- a really interesting game in terms of new, two new head coaches, two new systems, two teams that are in different yet similar positions. Um, and it was interesting how they went about it. I, I don't think I don't think Wales caused England enough uh, problems. Um, and England were happy enough to grind out a win. So uh, a, t- a win in Cardiff is always tough and shouldn't be sniffed at. Um, I think England would be very tough on the last game of the, se- of the Six Nations. Um, be very interested to see how Wales respond at the minute now, like playing against Italy, like in Rome. If Italy play like that and Wales play like that, you know, it won't be a wooden spoon for Italy. Um, with the news that came out today about the players on 250 grand being offered contracts of 30 grand, it's, there's going to be no one left in Wales by the time this time next year. So whatever squad Gatlin wants to try and put together, it's he's going to have to, they're going to have to look at themselves and try and sort something out because the entire rugby structure in Wales looks like it's crumbling. I don't think they're going to be the first nation e- or the, the last nation either. I think that rugby is teetering. And has been relying on good faith for a long, long time now. And it's 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 all starting to come to the head. And Wales are just the most obvious case of it. I think there's a lot of cracks under English rugby, probably under the IRFU as well, that we don't know about. COVID did a number on Ireland. We know that. But uh, yeah, that was sickening news to see. I think it's 12 players that were on 250 grand or so being offered an 80% reduction in their wages to 30 grand. Like that 30 grand is, you, you'd be better off packing in rugby completely and going to a jobs fair because I know that Lidl are extremely good employers and would be paying you twice, three times that if you got in there for a couple of years. So, like, you know, how, how are you going to keep players playing, especially in the country, if that's all you're going to be able to offer them? Same lads at uh, WR, the WRU that are obviously the same guys in Dundee offering money for cars. Uh, do you know what I mean? Like, oh, your car for 200 grand. Here's a 20 euro note. Uh, I hope that's okay. I was talking to a lad the other day who said that he regularly puts things on adverts up for free for collection only just to see if people will take them. And people are take broken office chairs, boxes of broken glass, and people just come and pick them up. Like, he said, if you put things up for collection only, someone will ring you and say, I'll take it. Wow. Must, yeah, that's, well look people want to get rid of stuff I suppose but uh, yeah like that that Welsh stuff is crazy just I don't know what the hell's going to happen with it but um, 
yeah I suppose we can we can touch on that when more stuff comes out about it um, last game then was France versus Scotland uh, France coming out on top 32 points to 21 Scotland looked like it could be a, a, a quite a hammering early on but Scotland in fairness to them fought back Scotland are not a bad team uh, and really like Wales probably are the worst team in the Six Nations at the moment which is crazy to say like Italy are good Scotland are good um, with some great parity at the moment with the Six Nations uh, but Wesley France uh, like uh, France aren't exactly you know last year they were stunning teams that they were just beautiful to watch they aren't like that this year is this kind of like a is it like a rope-a-dope or, or like are, are France just kind of building again for this World Cup and then they're going to show us all their tricks in, in, in six months time uh, I really hope so yeah I think that'd be class um, no I think they've worked really hard developing a game plan over the last few years um, it, it is interesting to see kind of drops in maybe their defence and stuff that, that you know like the Sean Edwards defence that we, we went on about for so many years and how how aggressive they were and how quick off the uh, off the back foot they were um, and now they've like conceded like the fourth most tries uh, in the Six Nations or something something close to that so it, it's a very interesting change Um I think they are playing slightly different. I, I think they have an eye on the World Cup. I, I kind of said it uh, last week that I, I didn't, or two weeks ago. I didn't think I didn't think losing to us would phase them overly. Losing to Ireland, Dublin wouldn't phase them, but I do think losing at home to Scotland might have might have rattled them a little bit. I think they are, will be happy enough with how they saw that game out. Like they got a kind of a dream start, ran in what two, three tries, and uh, Scotland got a red, and they thought, ah, oh, this is it, we're done, and then they got a pretty rude awakening. I mean, I don't know what. Uh, what the prop uh, how's uh, how's a was thinking? He just dived head first into a scrum half, like it was bizarre. Um, so a moment of madness then sets up the game. I thought Scotland fought back so well. I thought it was it was beautiful to watch at times. I thought the excitement level rivaled the Ireland game at times, um, in terms of how close it really went. But then you have the likes of players. Uh, yeah, Demority, I've been really impressed with. Uh, Damian Penno's work rate around the pitch is, is unbelievable. He doesn't get enough credit in my mind. Um, and Gael Fiku, Gael Fiku. For years, I mean, he got he got his first fifty caps for France. And you couldn't pick him out of a lineup. And the last twenty, he has been unbelievable. He's been integral to how that team work. Um, you have to remember that the likes of Jonathan Dante are still to come in. Hopefully, he's back for the World Cup. Um, I think Mafana is doing really well, but Dante is that more aggressive, more powerful ball carrier. Um, it's unfortunate that Shalange, I think, has been now ruled out for the World Cup, which is heartbreaking. Um, it was an ACL injury, I think. So they will have to reshuffle a bit. But luckily, if you look at the squads they've had over the last three years, they've brought in so many players. So I think they're trying to get all their players up to a certain game plan. And then in the World Cup, we'll see kind of a, a maximum execution for it. I, 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 think it's, I think it's a little bit too much to be too worried about France and the way, way they're performing now. Um, they're de- they definitely have their eyes on the home World Cup. Westy really showing his colours there with the hopefully and the wouldn't be too worried. Now, we we potentially have these in the quarterfinal. Westy's like, can't wait to see them playing unbelievable champagne rugby again. Hopefully it's a rope-a-dope and that they absolutely slaughter us in the quarters. Is that your guy, game, Westy? Is that why you're taking French classes on a Wednesday? Because you're secretly French. Mais oui, vive la France. <laughs> secretly French, secretly Lancer supporter. That's our Westy. That is him. That's why he Just looks blue. like Cheval. I'm That's blue. why he looks like Cheval. He's going to try and get in. I'm blue. West going to try and get some. Uh, going to try and get some free tickets because he looks like Cheval, and he's going to be like, "Hey, you used to play for France. In you go." Nous sommes en France. Nous parlons français. I don't. I, I did German. So, uh, last thing on this game though, like Sam Scotland, although they lost, they have Ireland next, and if they beat Ireland, uh, they'll be on the same wins as Ireland, and they have Italy at home in that last game of the of the of the Six Nations. 
you know, they could be looking at racking up a big score there and stealing a championship here. It's still very much on for the Scots. The next game is funny because it keeps Ireland's Grand Slam and winning the championship hopes alive. Uh, but it's also, it's a triple crown decider for Scotland. So there is a lot to play for them. It's the biggest game that they've had in years now to go into this uh, against Ireland away or Ireland are away. So it's a tough place to go. You know, they're not going to be any sort of walkovers and they'll also want to put a little bit of a marker down because all of the conversation has been about who South Africa and Ireland are going to get in the quarterfinals of the World Cup. And not that, you know, Scotland could do a number on it. I don't think they will, because I think in the past we've heard Scotland are capable of, you know, taking Ireland and it's just not materialised. You know, start of the last World Cup, we heard that it was going to be tricky and then it just wasn't. And Six Nations subsequently, they've not been as tricky as we think they will be. So I think Ireland will probably win comfortably because Ireland are extremely strong team. They're number one in the world for a reason. This is the first time Ireland have ever actually played up to the moniker of number one in the world. You know, the last time we were number one in the world, it was like when we hit our peak and then we were shite straight away after that moment. But we were actually playing to it. We're playing like a team that believes they're number one in the world. And I think that they will go to Edinburgh and want to, you know, make a big statement. But for Scotland, it's a huge game. So it's, it's a, not a grand slam, sorry. It's a triple crown decider. It's a chance to keep their hopes of winning the championship alive. If they did get an, a, if they did get the job done against Ireland, I think they'd go into the Italy game confident that they can win the championship because they are, you know, they they will put themselves in the perfect position. And Italy, I've heard it a lot. You know, they're not the Italy of old. They're very tough to beat. It only takes two years of them not winning for the not the Italy of old to just be forgotten about as a statement. They have to start winning consistently as well. You know, they're they're a fantastic team to watch, and they've been really really difficult to win to beat. But it's not like they've actually gone and won a load of games. So they have to start doing that really to if they want to continue to not be the Italy of old, you know, for longer than a year or two. And they, this not just be a flash in the pan. So, you know, they're not going to be an easy team for Scotland on the last day, of the, the Six Nations. But if Scotland were to beat Ireland, which I don't believe they will, I think that Scotland would be able to they'd be dispatch of Italy pretty well because they will be riding such a wave of confidence. And they are arguably, you know, pound for pound, or against Ireland in terms of backlines, I think that they're almost better in the backline. Ireland have some amazing players. We have, you know, McCluskey, Ringrose, Bundy playing 12, Henshaw to come back, Sexton, but they have just such a wealth of options there in Scotland. They've really built a really strong team. So, you know, they'll want to make sure people aren't leaving them out of the conversation for getting out of the group in the World Cup as well. Yeah, I just look at the table here. They're 28 points behind Ireland points difference, but if they beat Ireland, you know, that'll come down a little bit. And then they'd be pretty confident. Well, they wouldn't be confident, but like going into Italy to win a Six Nations and having to beat them by twenty plus, it's very doable, you know. Yeah. Uh, but it'd be interesting to see how that how that um, how that pans out. Uh, that's enough. That wraps up our Six Nation coverage. We've a bit of Connacht news to get through. Uh, since we last recorded, there's been three major announcements. First, and and obviously the biggest is that Pete Wilkins has been named the head coach of Connacht Rugby for the next three years. Um, and the key part here is assuming overall responsibility of the professional team, so there will be no director of rugby coming in uh, over Pete, as obviously Andy Friend is now. Um, I think obviously the the backroom staff hasn't been hasn't been announced. Uh, rumors obviously are Devald is leaving. Um, I think Cully Tucker will probably stay. Obviously, a lot of rumors of of uh, Muldoon coming home uh, as a coach as well. Who knows? Obviously, all rumors at the moment, but. Um, overall, I think we're all pretty happy with this, lads. We, you know, we we've been fans of Wilkins. We kind of have been saying since he went down to New Zealand with the Irish team that obviously he was being pipped for that position. 
um, and Connacht had interviews. We don't know who was interviewed. We don't know who the names were, but Pete's uh, he's come out on top uh, and his head coach for the next three years. Uh, Westy, I think I said, we're, yeah, overall we're pretty happy, but this obviously a lot depends on on that backroom staff and who supports him for the next three years. Yeah, yeah, I think those, um, especially in the modern game, I think those uh, those appointments are almost, you know, almost as important as your head coach. Really, you need to make sure you're surrounded by good people and uh, good people who bring good ideas uh, and, and contribute to the go forward of the club. I think, um, you know, I've seen some people who aren't so happy with, you know, maybe Pete Wilkins who wanted to see things uh, shaken up. Again, I, I said that in the podcast last week, you know, Right now, we have one of the best, you know, we're sitting on about a 55 or 56% win rate in all the competitions. Um, that's the best win rate we've had since the year we won it, which was, I think it was a 67% win rate. Sam shared a great um, bit of statistics during a week that had our, our win rate for the last uh, five, six years, and we've been consistent at 50%. Um, now, you can you can launch whatever bombs you want about an individual, but those statistics speak for themselves. Ten years ago, we weren't anywhere near that. Six years ago, seven years ago, we weren't anywhere near that. It, it, it took time. It took different coaches coming in and building. Uh, and Pete's been there for this, for pretty much all of that. And I think that he is someone who's committed himself to the club. His his family is here. His kids are playing rugby around these parts. Um, and I, I like his overall positive attitude. And he, was, he wasn't brought to New Zealand for no reason over the, week, uh, over the summer for the Ireland tour. Um, yeah, I'm really happy with it. Um, I hope that we find out who who is um, going to be under him, for lack of a better term, uh, pretty soon. Um, I wouldn't want to see it drawn out too much. Um, but yeah, this sub coach ticket here will be very important, especially if you know we've heard rumours that the vault is, will be leaving, going back to France. Um, we've already lost um, Mossy Lawler, I think, to Munster. Um, so I think while I'd like to make, I'd like to retain Kylie Tucker and possibly default if possible it will be interesting to add one or two names to the to the team sheet as well yeah I think uh, you know one of the questions I had Sam was would Pete be able to attract talent but you know he did he was defensive coach with Edinburgh for two years he had a good couple of years down in Australia with the Queens and Reds like there is potential there were players who would know him or at least have heard of him you know the likes of the way the friend did with with the likes of Mac and Porsche um, you might get some talent that way yeah, and I don't think that the head coach is the be-all and end-all of how you attract talent. I actually don't think our Connacht are going to invest too heavily this year. But by all accounts, uh, finances are quite tight across the board, and Connacht especially. You know, and, uh, If we don't get into the Champions Cup, the finances will be even tighter. So I think that there's a lot of consolidating to do, and that's a sad sad situation to be in, but that's just the, the way we are. We've invested heavily in our academy the last couple of years, and you've seen that come to fruition with a lot of good academy players coming through and becoming mainstays of the Connacht, you know, 23 or wider squad and some, some good starters there like the Marais and, you know, Dintony Martin, they, they look phenomenal. And Caelan Blade's got a three-year deal just signed. So I'm not sure if we're going to be going after too many players. I don't think we're going to get maybe the four that we got from Leinster and one or two others this year. I think it'll be one, two more on top of what we have uh, unless there is a mass exodus. There, are, there has been some rumours of mass exits, but it's all hysteria at this point. There's no point in looking at that. From a coach and ticket point of view, yeah, he he know a couple of players around, but he also, we are a club, we're a famous club, we're in a good situation. We have players like Sakarati and the Bundys. You know, the, these are all reasons to join a team. The club has a job to sell itself, not just the head coach, but the club themselves have a job to sell themselves to protect uh, prospective players. So, 
I wouldn't mind too much. I, I don't. I wouldn't buy in too much about whether or not he can attract players. It's it's how he sells the dream of what Connacht is there for, and that's how you're going to attract players. I've heard rumors that Mark Sexton, he's the younger brother of Johnny Sexton, he's one of the two over the academy this year. I've heard rumors that he might get promoted, and we know that that is that would be in keeping with the way that Connacht have done things in the last while. Academy coaches and hiring from within and promoting from within has been something that Connacht have done quite successfully and aimed to do. And I think that that will probably continue. So you might see him or Andrew Brown, who's, you know, we we know him as a player from Connacht from uh, quite recently. He's the two of them are over the academy. You might see promotion from there. Uh, you know, the Muldoon coming back, it's a good rumour. It, it could be a fairy tale story for Muldoon to come back a couple of years under Pete and then take over as head coach. Could go the other way and he could tarnish, but he he wouldn't be able to tarnish the reputation that he has in Connacht. So it's a really interesting time to see the current state of affairs finances wise there's rumblings and rumors of you know it being quite tight so it's a hard time for pete but he's a coach's coach as opposed to a a suit and tie director of rugby and that might suit him he might want to work with what he has i know some coaches prefer to try and mold and try and work with what they have and try and consolidate that way instead of just buying in from the outside so you know, there's there's a lot of good young players coming through in Connacht. We have really you know talented group of young lads, and if we can attract one or two more to kind of supplement that, I think we're in a good position. And you know, the start of this season makes it look like it's all doom and gloom, but we've shown in the last couple of weeks that we are better than that, and that we will continue. And I think that we will push, maybe not get seventh, but we're definitely in the fight for seventh. But I think we'll push and we'll get eighth. And if we lose out on Europe on a technicality because we came eighth, I'd be happy enough with that. Yeah, I think the important thing is, as Connacht fans, and I know this is tough for some Connacht fans and for general sport fans in general, but um, you can't you can't make your mind up on this, tr- you know, three months in, six months in. You really have to. I know, and I know that sucks because it's it's a long time away, and it, we want results now, but we just can't do that in modern in modern sport. It just takes longer for that. And I know people say, "Oh, Pete's already kind of there." Sam, as you said before, like with Roundtree, look how different they are now. And Roundtree was there underneath Barrel under Schmidt, like yeah. There's it's even though you're involved when you're actually when you're behind the drive behind the steering wheel, it's different. So your coaching philosophy and yeah, it's whatever you want to do, you can do. Like Wilkins has control now, but it still has to get approved by friend. So if friend doesn't like something, he's gonna stay and he's gonna put the kibosh on it. So like. Again, we just won't know. You have to give it at least a year, probably more, and then we can make our mind up on if it was a good hire or not. You can't just be, you know, one bad result and then it's like, you know, throw the toys out of the pram. Yeah, and there's, there's a bit of that now and it almost looks like a race to be the first person to be disappointed with it. I've heard the term underwhelmed used a couple of times, which I thought was quite unfair on uh, Pete just as a person. Just, you know, get him behind it. He's in position now, so don't be you know, gleeful if the first game doesn't go as planned and we're not suddenly the All Blacks, you know, it'll take a bit of time. Uh, and then another side of things, which is just frustrating as a kind of fan looking on, is you look at like Wasps and Worcester and the Welsh Rugby Union and all of this stuff going on around Europe with the game of rugby. And then you hear people giving out the Connacht aren't, you know, going out and just throwing money at players. Finances are tight in rugby and that's just the way it is at the moment. So we have to just accept that and realize that you're not going to be able to throw out these 300 grand contracts. They just don't exist at the moment in Ireland. Well, in Connacht anyway, you know, the more successful you are, the more opportunity to do that you have. But yeah, I I don't like to see, like, I I know I spoke about finances being tight, but I don't like to see it being leveled as a criticism because they're managing their money well and not, you know, destroying them. Imagine you were a Wasps fan now and your team disappeared for this year or Worcester and your team seemingly disappeared forever. 
Like that, that is the worst thing to happen to a supporter. And that is a direct result of mismanagement of money. So I wouldn't, I'm not buying into this complaining about Connacht being too tight with their money. It's they're being smart with their money in my Plus, opinion. And also undergoing a redevelopment of the sports grants. So like that's not cheap either. So yeah, you're right. And that's the, that's the tough part because you have to be sensible about this and that's not fun or it's not uh, sexy to read headlines of, Hey, be sensible. Uh, but look, it's, uh, we can touch on that another day. Congrats to Pete Wilkins. Um, you know, maybe we'll get him on the podcast someday. You never know if if, if following Friendy's footsteps. But um, we had some good renewal see, uh, news during the week. Uh, Gavin Thornbury and Jordan Duggan have signed extensions with the club, both one year extensions, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but we'll start with Gavin Thornbury. Westy, we were all kind of worried that he'd be let go or he wouldn't sign on, obviously, with his injury history. I think we're all delighted to have him staying with, with Connacht because when Gavin Thornbury is healthy and playing regularly, he is one of the best locks in the country. Yeah, yeah. And we've kind of seen, I think, over the last three years that once he's got a good stint to play and he's been in and around various Ireland squads. So um, he's definitely a player that I feel can make that leap. Um, now, look, at, that is asterisk by the fact that he has had quite a lot of serious injuries over the last few years. Um if he can bounce back, for, he's already shown his resilience in terms of coming back from serious injuries and the kind of unexpected complications that arise from the injuries that he had. Um, I, I think if we can, I, I'd say that the one year is slightly conservative in the sense that because of that injury profile, if he can get back up to speed and make his mark next year, I, I hope we retain him for a long time. I think he's a great player to have in the squad. He's played in New Zealand. He's, he's been up to Leinster. Like he, he's a lot of experience playing different styles of rugby. Um, and he's adapted really well to kind of various changes in kind of game plans and playing with with um, kind of a, a heavily rotated squad. So um, I'm delighted to see him back. I think, as I said, um, he has a huge ceiling in terms of his ability. He's also really stable and reliable. Um, and I just hope the guy gets fit again as quick as possible and we, we really get to enjoy seeing him out there again because it's definitely... Um, I know second row is a position, definitely from my perspective, comments, I think we're quite strong when everybody's fit. Um, but Gav again as I just think he has that another level in him if, if, if he can get a good consistent run of games under himself there's no limit to where he can end up Sam let's play the game of how many appearances does Gavin Thornbury have for Connacht uh, he's, oh what's he five years uh, oh, I'm going to say 57 71 71 appearances for Connacht not a terrible guess Sam with all the injuries he's had as well He'd be closing in on the, on the ton. Yeah, because um, I think when he first showed up, he played. I think he played nearly every game the first season or two he was there, and then he had a big injury, and then it was there was one season where I think he only had four or five appearances. So, yeah, geez, seventy one. A lot of his injuries as well are just bad luck. Do you know what I mean? Like the latest one was just TAT. It just fell on him, and you know, like that's just some lads just don't have a lot of luck with injuries. And I feel like uh, Gavin is one of those players. He had an injury. You know, you were talking to him uh, a couple of years ago. This is free. Was it the summer squad announcement for Ireland? And he was in a sling and he said it was precautionary and they went looking for, you know, just to try and sort out an ongoing shoulder injury. And it ended up being an almost season long injury. And that was just completely out of nowhere. And uh, so there, yeah, you hope he gets past that because he, what is he, 28, 29. So he's still young for a lock. You know, there's plenty of second rows that'll go right on till 33, 34. So, you know, you could get another four or five years out of him if he can get himself fit. Uh, because on his day, he's yeah, he's phenomenal. Like Westy said, he's one of the top locks in Ireland. Uh, when he is fit, it's just a matter a matter of like trying to maintain that fitness and getting there. So the one year is probably a little bit conservative, but that's the position you're in when you're that you know 
riddled with injuries, you're probably not going to be able to demand a three-year contract. It's just the way that it is. But if he can play his way into this team and into some fitness, he'll get another contract out of that and Connacht will be all the better for it. Yeah, absolutely. We hope he, he can get some luck. Uh, the, also, the other uh, signing was Jordan Duggan, um, who renewed his contract for one more year. Uh, Jordan's twenty five prop, twenty five year old prop. Uh, he's thirty six caps uh, for Connacht. Um, Jordan Duggan, also known as Jordan Thuggan, um, from our podcast with Matt Hansen. Um, Jordan is uh, like we all can clearly see the potential uh, with Jordan uh, Sam. Like we've been kind of saying it for a while. He just he needed to get a bit of a. Um, a bit more of a run of games, and when he when he's come on, especially this last year or two, he really has uh, has played well when he's come on, uh, and there's no doubt in his potential. And hopefully, in the next year, we can really unearth a lot of that potential. Yeah, Freddie said it in the press release after it was announced. You know, it's a one year deal. It's probably similar to Thornbury. He's got a lot to prove because he's not a regular. As much as I thought he was going to grow into a regular when he first got on the scene, he's not been overtaken. But there are other players around him that are just as good. Matty Burke's had some really good games there. Uh, Dooley is probably ahead of him and Buckley you know he's got a two plus one year deal Buckley is you know he's a cornerstone of the way kind of to play for 10 years now so it's a tough position for him to be in but I think he has the mentality to go on to it because he really seems like a driven young lad he's an absolute unit Uh, he comes on and your friend he said he's so young for a prop that he has the potential to grow and to become more powerful so he can be a very good player for Connacht in the future and I think he has been very good in fits and starts but he hasn't necessarily nailed down his his squad position yet so it's a good bit of business by Connacht to keep him because I really like him as a young prop and I think uh, when he's on it he's been great and he's actually had some of his best games off the bench and coming on and making an impact and just not dropping the power and actually increasing the power output of the fours in the front row you know carrying well tackling well scrummaging quite well so he has had that good impact play as well, uh, which are all good signs for a young prop. So great to get him signed on. Hopefully another couple of signings may be announced this week because, uh, you know, we've got the Dragons at the weekend and they like to kind of, re- especially around, you know, we just got the text today telling us to buy new season tickets. There was like a good a few announcements around that. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if Bundy was announced this week just to really push those season tickets. Yeah, the, definitely. Yeah, and obviously we were supposed to, we're due to have a guest on, and we still are due to have that guest on, but we're waiting for their announcements, their contract to be signed, sealed, and delivered. Obviously, we don't know what that contract if it's good or bad for Connacht, but we also don't want to record a podcast and then a day later the contract gets announced and the podcast becomes obsolete. Uh, so just keep patient. Uh, we will have uh, hopefully have that player on. Um, last uh, topic is obviously URC is back this weekend. Connacht are back in action. Uh, heading away to Dragons to Rodney Parade, which has never been too big of a, a good of a haunting spot. But with this kind of team, I feel a bit more confident. And with four games to go, Connacht's uh, kind of faith is in their own hands. So, Westy, look, we've been saying must-win games all year, but this one, again, this one kind of sets you up because you have two home games after this, Edinburgh and Cardiff, um, to set up maybe that, that, that big decider at the end of the season uh, uh, again, away to Glasgow. But... That that's all irrelevant if you lose this weekend. Yeah, yeah, and I think like though know, we've got four games left, two of them home, two of them away. You really want to, well, uh, I don't want to say it, put too much emphasis on it, but you want to be taking potentially a bonus point from um, from two of them as well. We need to maximize kind of some of our points here just to put us in the most stable position. We've got Cardiff and Benetton who are one point behind us in the table, so that's how easily it can it can swing against us. Um, Dragons are a great side. They've already shown this season. I mean, they they beat Munster early on uh, in in Newport. 
Um, they've shown they have the ability to get these results when they're given the opportunity. So um, it needs to be a strong, stable performance from Connacht. Um, I think, luckily, we have a really good squad. We should have a really good squad available for the game. Um, and as you said, like everyone on that pitch knows what the job is. We know we have to get out there and secure the win. We know our fate is in our hands. Um, and we know that we're good enough to get the performances. We, we've seen them over the last few weeks. We've seen them, you know, in... in in Ospreys, when we, we went 20 points down after, you know, pretty early on and we came back, we've seen us grind out victories against a, a fantastic fight back from Zebra and we, we had the talent to see it out. So, you know, I know the Zebra game wasn't the cleanest of wins, but we should be confident in our ability to get out there and score, to score tries and to, to, to put ourselves in a position to win the game. Um, you know, we talked about various mental states, but I think this team has it in them and they know they have it in them. So I'm, I'm quietly confident going through, but I say I, we've seen what dragons can do um, earlier on the season to Irish teams who who underestimate them. Yeah, I think uh, Sam, we've been saying this year, Connacht have been actually quite good at beating the teams below them in the table. Uh, dragons in fifteenth, Connacht in eighth. Um, we're hoping that 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 pattern remains this weekend. So far, that's exactly who Connacht have beaten. They've actually they've they're almost playing to what a computer generated who should you beat system would do. They're they're beating all the teams below them. And you want them to continue that. We said it a couple of weeks ago, every game is a final. From now on, we had five games. We won the first of those finals. We got five points. And then you look at this, Dragons away. Yeah, it's a hard game. But if you want to be that Champions Cup team, the Connacht say that they are uh, and want to aspire to be, you know, year in, year out or two out of every three years, you have to beat Dragons away. You have to just beat Dragons themselves. Every couple of other games are the games that you need to be winning, like, I don't think you can turn around at the end of the season if you lose this game and say, yeah, we deserve to be in the Champions Cup because it's an opportunity there to get four, if not five points. Connacht are well good enough. There's also so much you know, BS going on in the Welsh Rugby Union. you got to be looking those Dragons players as being you know, fragile mentally. And it's not nice to say, but Connacht need to take advantage of that. An opportunity is there. You have to take it. You, know, you saw what Munster did the other week. They put 50, 60 points on a team because... They were the better team and their the mental fragility was there and Munster exploited that and Connick need to be doing the same because we're we're not in a position to go in and think it's just going to happen for us. You know, we're not in a position to decide that if we just play whatever way it'll come good. It won't. You have to go to Dragons and win that. Uh, and that's what we need to see. So I'm really excited for the game. I'm really excited for the team. These kind of one-off games in the middle of Six Nations are weird because they're not necessarily going to be as fluid as you think, but they're always exciting and it's kind of a bit of a break from Six Nations. So it'll be good to see that game now and hopefully, you know, kind of five points and really put them in a really good stead considering the Sharks result in their game in hand to Ulster. Didn't see that coming and so thankful Ulster decided to show up again. You know, thank God, because if they did that to Sharks... And Ulster now have Cardiff this weekend. Ulster could be doing Connick some huge favours. Like, yeah, great win by Ulster. We didn't get time to touch on it, but yeah, fantastic win. Um, you make a good point. I want to finish on that. Yeah, like the ruthless, like cold-hearted fuckers that we want Connick to be are a team that will go out this weekend and continue to pile on the misery of Welsh rugby. Um which is not again like it's not nice to think about, but that's what as is that's what Munster would do, that's what Leinster would do. Ulster, we don't really know, but that's that's a different discussion for a different day. Uh, so yeah, look, it's good good to have Connick back. Um, we'll be back next weekend to recap everything. I hope we got through everything today, but if we didn't, apologies. Thanks again to Fanzo. Thanks again to Della as always for supporting the podcast, and thanks for listening. I'll be back next week. Cheers, boys. Bye. Bye.